The writer of Hebrews tells us that there was this like falling away of people in Hebrews chapter 6, these people that were basically abandoning the faith. And, um, and so he goes on, and the writer of Hebrews, and he's talking about all this uh, stuff that's going on. And he says in verse 12, now we just got off this series called The Hunt. We were talking about being desperate, being hungry for God. And how many of you know that if you maintain that, as we talked about last week, if you maintain that desperation for God, if you maintain that, that, that anti-complacent spirit, then there's no way you're going to get to the place of, of backsliding. Are you with me? Of the place of abandoning the faith. I know that backsliding is kind of a bad word in church, but, but really there were people, and Jesus even talks about it at the end of the day, that people will abandon their faith. And so he's talking about that, that people are, are, are abandoning their faith. And then he says this to, to, in, in, the, in the letter of Hebrews. He says, you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. How many of y'all, are that, you would say, I'll take that. I will not become spiritually dull and and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name. Isn't that good? God took an oath in his own name saying, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God promised. Now, how many know that Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, Abraham only received a portion of that in his life? There was much more coming. Now, when people take an oath, they call on something greater than themselves to hold them to it. Right? So that's why we go to a court. That's why we say, hey, we're going to do this under oath. We're going to talk to uh, someone who can enforce the law. So we'll go before them, and they're going to make sure that we hold our end of the bargain. Right? Are you with me? Now, on the earth at this time, there was nobody greater than Abraham. Abraham was a friend of God. He was full of faith. And there was nobody, nobody greater on the earth to go to to establish this oath, to establish this promise. So God took it upon himself right? God took it upon himself. He said, I'll I'll do this in my name. So God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. I mean, how many are glad that God hasn't changed his mind about you? So God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because, because it is impossible for God to lie. Nothing's impossible for God except for God to lie. It's impossible for God to lie. God can't tell a lie. Are you with me? So these two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him, how many of y'all fled to him? Those who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor of the souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Now, why does he talk about hope being an anchor? Like the, the, when we have confidence in this, it's like an anchor to our soul. I want you to imagine with me that you and a group of friends are on a deep sea fishing trip. Woo, come on, that's a good place to go, right? And you are in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico, you can't see land anywhere. You've checked the weather forecast. It's all good in the hood. You're going to spend a couple of days out in the middle of the Gulf just 
fishing, right? Deep sea fishing. Then all of a sudden, with no warnings, no radio calls, nothing, all of a sudden you see the clouds begin to turn gray. You're freaking out. Now, you're, you've got an anchor. You're fishing. So you've got two options. The first option is you can look at your map. You can look at your, your, all your data, and you can race towards the shore. Or you have the option of throwing your anchors, all your anchors, deep and letting the storm pass. Unfortunately, most of us would say, let's get out of here without anchoring. The problem is, is once the storm comes, if you survive it, when the storm is gone, you will be totally lost at sea because you will have, have no bearing of direction where you're at. However, if you anchor deep and you drop your anchors deep and you, you go through the storm, the storm goes through you, the storm passes, then when the storm is gone, you will have your bearings because you are anchored deep. So, so you have the choice. You can cut and run as we see the, the people uh, as we're talking about in Hebrews, you can cut and run, or you can anchor deep into God's presence. You can anchor deep into the promise of God, and when the storm is passed, you'll know exactly where you're supposed to be. How well you are anchored will determine where you're going to be on the other side of the storm. Listen, the storm is coming. Get ready. Revival's coming, the presence is coming, the goodness is coming. But listen, I warn you, the storm is coming. You will face a storm. We will all face storms. That's not a question. People have tried to faith it away, pray it away. The storm's coming. Regardless of how much you pray, how much you fast, how much you believe, the storm will come. But how much you fast, how much you pray will show how good you will be when the storm is passed. And it's not really about how strong the storm is. It's about how well anchored are you. How will you be when the storm has passed? In this scripture, it references Abraham. Now, Abraham, we call him the father of our faith. Now, Abraham was a well-anchored man. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he was solid, right? He was a friend of God. In fact, in fact scripture tells us this about Abraham, that he believed God and God, God counted it or credited it to him as righteousness. His belief was so strong that it made him right with God. Now, this was before the, the covenant of Moses. It was before the law of Moses. Abraham was made right with God because of his faith. This is why he's the father of faith, because he showed the, the New Testament pattern was built into the life of Abraham. Now, I'm going to read Romans 4 here. I've got a lot of Scripture I would encourage you to dig into this a little bit more this week. Um, I've never taught on this before. This is, this, is, uh, this is, again, this is kind of Pandora's box for me. But Romans chapter 4, I'm going to read through this, and we're going to talk about it. Are you with me? All right, Romans chapter 4, and we're going to jump around a little bit uh, just for the sake of time. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the Scripture tells us Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Genesis fifteen six. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. 
But people are counted righteous, as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sins. Then he goes on and talks about David a little bit. He talks about circumcision. We don't really want to talk about circumcision. That'll make us uncomfortable. We're trying, thank God we don't have memories of that, us men. Um, verse 13 says, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based upon his obedience. So there's this Abrahamic covenant we'll talk about in just a minute. God said, I'm going to go look at the stars. So you're going to have more descendants than that. He says, I'm going to give you all the land that you go to. And what's interesting is as Abraham's life went on, God not only, uh, not only reminded him of the promise, God actually added on to the promise of Abraham. He said, you're going to be blessed. You're, you're going to be everywhere your foot goes. The land's going to be given to you. And he's like, your descendants are going to cover the whole earth. Well, the Jewish nation today, the reason why we call uh, Israel a state and not a nation is because the nation of Israel is all over the world. Are you with me? There's Jews in America. So the nation of Israel is worldwide. Let's get back to this. God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based upon his obedience, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. Why does it bring punishment on those that try to obey it? Because you can't obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. Isn't it interesting that Abraham didn't have law? He was obedient but he didn't have a law to keep. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. And we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we live like Abraham's, if, if, if we live like Abraham. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. I remember um, in children's church, I didn't go to children's church a lot when I was a kid, but uh, I worked in children's ministry a lot after I got saved, and we used to have this song that we used to sing, Father Abraham. You guys ever heard of that song? Father right arm, right? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just, so we're singing this song, this deep theological song that says, we are Abraham's descendants. How many of you are Jewish? You're born Jewish. You're born Jewish? No? No, me neither. Well, the Jews were declaring, hey, we're Abraham's offspring. The promise is for us, right? But this says, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. So Gentiles, Jews, men, women, as we'll see in just a moment, all can be children of Abraham by faith. This is what Scripture means when God told him, I have made you a father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Believe it, believe. Listen, he was an old man. An old man in his 90s, 
God was like, I'm going to give you a son. And so what Abraham did is he went outside of his family to one of his wife's servants and tried to force his heritage on her and had a baby. What was that? That was the works of the law. That's where Islam comes from, from the striving, from the working. But that wasn't out of God's promise. That was outside of what God had promised. So God said, I'm going to bless you through your family, not through your labor, by your faith and believing what I promised, not what you can do on your own, which he tried to do. So Abraham kept fearing, uh, kept hoping even, he didn't keep fearing, he kept hoping. How many know that there was even some doubts at times? There was some striving at times, but he kept hoping, believing that he had come, become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, this is how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. Even though at 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Verse 20, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God, and he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. Check this out. It was recorded for our benefit. For our benefit, too. Assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sin, and he is raised to life to make us right with God. We are the children of Abraham by faith. Now, there's this theology called replacement theology, okay? It's bad theology. Anytime everybody says replacement theology, you say, because replacement theology says that Christianity replaces the Jews. There's no replacement for the Jews. There's a grafting into the Jews, into the line of the Jews. So, grafting that we've been tied into Abraham's family by faith. Are you with me? Okay, you guys with me today? And so, What's happening is you got these people saying, well, there's, there's really no more Jewish nation. It's all, it's all about Christians. It's all about believing in Jesus. Listen, Christianity and, and uh, Judaism are compatible in the sense that we worship the same God. However, without Jesus, we are not really part of the children of Abraham because becoming a child of Abraham is done by faith. So Jesus was running into all these religious people, and they're like, oh, we're not bound. We, we don't have all this stuff going on in our life, and we're children of Abraham. We've never been in bondage. And Jesus is like, we know that you're descendants of Abraham, but you're not true children. Because true children of Abraham, it happens by faith. We'll explore this a little more as we go on. The other kind of mindset that we have today, um, which, which I'm, I'm encountering, it seems like I'm encountering more than I've ever had, is where you have Christians, Gentile believers. We are Gentile. Gentiles simply means that you're not a Jew. Okay? So when we say Gentile, don't think that you have to have all this historical knowledge of things. All you got to know is that Gentile means not a Jew. Okay, so we all, most of us, are Gentile believers, right? We're not Jewish believers. Well, the problem is we have all these Gentile believers that are saying, we've got to keep the law of Moses. Yes, we're saved by faith, but now we have to go back and keep the law of Moses. How many of you know that the law of, that we are not the children of Moses? Scripture doesn't say that we're the children of Moses. It says that we are the children of Abraham. Now, Abraham was before Moses, 
And so what happened is there was a law, and Scripture tells us this. If you study the teachings of Paul, he said the law was a schoolmaster. It was a guardian. It was to keep us in line until God's promise was revealed in Jesus. Now that, now that Jesus has been revealed through that line, we have direct access to the promise of Abraham. We don't have to keep the law to get the promise that Abraham had because the promise is for us as well. We have direct access to that. We bypass the law. The law of Moses was giving for the Jewish people. So what's happening is in the churches we get saved and then, and then we, we stop pursuing Jesus and we, we lose our heart connect of the new covenant, which it speaks about in Jeremiah. We lose the heart connect. And so what we go is we go, I want a law to live by. And so we go back to the law of Moses. And then we, then we start judging people whether they're righteous or not based upon the law of Moses. Now, how many of you know that in the law of Moses, there were universal laws? Do not kill. How many know that it was already, do not kill was already a law before Moses, God gave it to Moses? Right? We see this in Genesis, right, with Cain and Abel. It was evil to kill. We see that. How many of you know that, that not honoring God, that worshiping other idols was already wicked. So in the law of Moses, there are some universal truths, but our justification and our righteousness is not based in the law of Moses. You don't have to keep the law of Moses. You have to keep the law of God. But the law of God is not necessarily the law of Moses. This is why God said, I'm going to come and I'm going to write my law in their heart. And he's not speaking of the law of Moses. He's speaking of the law, I believe, of the law of Abraham. Obedience friendship with God, relationship, connection. This is what God wanted. Are y'all okay today? Listen, the problem with the law of Moses, and listen, we love Jewish people. Are you with me? But if you are, if you are not a Jew, and this is, this is the problem that Paul was having, if you're not a Jew, you don't have to worry about all this you know, trimming your beard. Because what's happening is people are picking and choosing. They're going, well, we've got to keep this, and we've got to keep the Sabbath, but we don't have to trim our beard. And so what they're doing is they're picking and choosing, and they're saying, well, basically, I'm going to pick what the law is, and I'm going to justify you according to it. And they're not even Jewish. And they're forgetting that it's all rooted in our faith in God. And so they're becoming bitter, and it, and it really becomes about a handwritten standard versus a heart connect with God. Are y'all with me? Okay. The problem with the law of Moses, and listen, we love the Jews. Come on, are you with me? This is no slam against. We love the Jews. We pray for the Jews. We believe that the, the Jews have a special place, that they play a significant role, and we believe Jesus was from that line. Are you with me? And so the, the Jews are amazing. We love them. We protect them. We pray for them. Come on, this is something that we do, and we believe that, that they are, are still gods. And uh, the problem with the law of Moses, though, is that it placed rightness with God in our ability to keep the laws. So when Jesus shows up, what does he do? He goes to the religious people who are doing this, saying the law of Moses, and they were actually adding things that weren't even in the, the, the books that, that Moses had written. They're saying, well, you got to do this, you got to do this. And Jesus is like, well, let's just do this. How about um, the law of God says, don't commit adultery? And they're like, yeah, that's right. And he's like, well, have you lusted after a woman? And they're like, oh, uh, yeah. <sighs> right? Jesus is like, he says, it does, you don't kill, but do you have anger and bitterness and hatred in your heart towards those around you? 
right? Do you see the problem with it is that you can keep the code, but the heart's disconnected. And so there's universal laws in the law. You, you guys seem to, are, are you with me? Am I communicating this properly? Okay. So this is why we're not under the law, but we're under grace. We're under grace by believing in Jesus, by trusting Jesus. Now, when we talk about belief, and we're going to talk about faith a little bit more, we're not talking about wishful Disney uh, fairy tale believing. We're not talking, oh, wouldn't it be nice if la 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 la. Right? We're not, we're talking about trust. And that's, I don't really like the word faith sometimes because I feel like that, that Hollywood has kind of ruined it. Trust is what you're doing right now in the chair that you're sitting in. You've placed, or faith is what you're doing with your chair right now. You've placed an active trust in that. And so, um, that, that's what, that's what faith is. Um, Again, the problem with the law is that people were breaking it. And Paul says the law was broken because people are breaking it. Like people can't, you can't keep the law. And so if you're using that as a means of justification or whether God's pleased with you or God likes you or not, you're going to fail every time. And that's why when it says that Jesus, that people would come to Jesus and be crushed because we go to Jesus and we're like, man, I, I can't do it. I can't keep your standard. I can't keep the standard of God. You can't keep God's standard. God has a, God has a, your standard is him. And until you're as holy as God and living out holiness as God, you're going to fall short. You're going to fall short. I'm not that holy. Anybody else that holy? You've got there yet? Okay, great. Galatians 3, 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, who have all been united with Christ in baptism, have put on the character of Christ, like putting on new clothes. Isn't that awesome? There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ, and you belong to Jesus. You belong to Christ. You are the true children of Abraham. The true children of Abraham. Notice that word true there. Because they were saying, we're descendants. We're descendants. He's like, I don't care about your citizenship. I don't care about your lineage. I care about your heart, your belief. You are heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. What is the Abrahamic covenant? Uh, Genesis chapter 12, God shows up to Abraham and he's like, listen, I'm going to give you dominion. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to increase your people. You're going to take over the earth. I'm going to give you dominion. I'm going to give you uh, land. He says, I'm going to give you, you're going to go here. You're going to leave the land that you're in. You're going to go to a new land and I'm going to give you that land. Right? And then he says, I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to give you more descendants than, than you can count. Sand on the seashore, stars in the sky. I'm going to give you more descendants than that. And then he said, and you are going to be a blessing to all nations. So, so the Abrahamic covenant is dominion, to, to, to take land, uh, descendants. And how many know that there's, there's the physical land, but there's also dominion in the spirit? Come on, are you with me? Influence, realms that we take, that we, over, that we have uh, authority over, that we have descendants, and then blessings to others. So he says, you're going to be a blessing and all the people of the earth are going to be blessed because of you. So what's happening is we have all these people that are saying, oh, it's the law of Moses, the law of Moses, the law of Moses. And they're grinding on that. And the law of Moses. Got to keep the law. You got to keep the law. Got to keep the law. And they're not being a blessing to anybody. They're going the standard, the standard, the standard. And he's going, why don't you be a blessing? Why don't you do what God's created you to do? 
This is the promise of Abraham, that we would be a blessing. Now, in this promise, Jesus fulfilled, and he is fulfilling. How many of you know that it was, it was there, and it was here and now, and it is coming? So he was really prophesying to Abraham of Jesus, but also of kingdom dominion. So let's talk about, and this is all, this is all received by faith. It's all received by faith. All these promises that we have. How, how can you be a blessing if you're not blessed? Right? We get so narrow-minded. We're like, oh, my needs. All we ever do is pray for ourselves. We think about ourselves. Oh, my needs. All we ever talk about is ourselves. Oh, my needs. All the things that I need in my life. All the things in my life so I can survive. Right? But God didn't create you for survival. He created you for revival. But the only way that you're ever going to bring revival and bring life to the dead things around you is if you have a surplus in you. So the only way that you're going to be able to help the poor is if you have more money. Right? So God wants to prosper you. Not so you can be big and fat and live in the nicest house, but so you can be a blessing to others. God wants you to be health, health, full of health. Why? So you can bring health to others. God wants you to be emotionally healthy. Why? Just so you can be happy and sit around and go, I'm just so content, I just love God. No! So you can be so full of joy and so full of peace that you can bring it to the atmosphere around you. Because you know, and I know, that when we are depleted emotionally that we deplete the atmosphere around us because we're going, feel my need, feel my need, feel my need. This is not the promise of Abraham. The promise of Abraham is that we would have increase in all these areas that would spill out our lives on those around us. So when you walk into a room, you're not going, give me life, give me life, give me life. You're going, here's life, here's life. I'm going to be a blessing. I'm going to give you life. This is the promise of Abraham, that you would be blessed. Are you with me? Man, Abraham was rich. He was totally loaded. Did you guys know this? Abraham like, had like so many like sheep and all this kind of stuff. He was selling it all the time. He was moving around. People were, he was a blessing to those around him. And so our faith in Jesus looks a lot more like this than it does whenever we want to talk about the promised land. Because how many of you know the children of Israel, most of the stuff that we're talking about, they hadn't even received the promise. We've received it. Y'all all right? Okay. All right. Y'all all right? Y'all trust me? All right. Man, I'm telling you, this has been like, for me, I'm, I'm reading this, I'm getting it, and I'm not getting it. And I'm like, okay, okay, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So stick with me. So let's talk about realities of faith, okay? Next week, we're going to talk about hope, probably faith some more. I'm going to really try to narrow this down to two weeks. I'll probably go into three. Um, and we're going to talk about the promise of the Holy Spirit after that. But, um, what is faith? Realities of faith. Number one, faith is active trust. We talked about that just a minute. It's not, it's not where you're sitting looking at the wall and going, hey, the wall's black. That's recognition, right? Even the demons have that kind of faith, as we'll talk about in James. Even the demons can say, Jesus is Lord. God is king. God is good. How many of you know that there's a difference between that and what you're doing in your chair right now? Or if you go to the airport today or you do what we're going to do today, we're going to go, we're going to load up our car, and we're going to drive to Odessa today, this afternoon, right? I don't have to go to my kids every five seconds and be like, okay, guys, just want to remind you, we're going to go to Odessa today. They're not sitting in the back seat going, are we going to Odessa? Are we going to Odessa? Are we going to? No, the pilot, the driver, their daddy said, hey, we're going to Odessa. So they have active trust to get in the van and know that they're going to show up in Odessa, there's no question in their mind. There's no doubts. They just trust their dad. 
And this is what active trust is. It's placing faith in that, getting in the van, and going to where God has promised you. It's not just going, oh, yeah, my dad's a great guy. He's going to go to Odessa. That's great. I'm going to sit here at the house and teleport. Right? Faith, Hebrews chapter 11, faith is confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It's not wishful thinking. It gives us assurance about the things we cannot see. It's saying, Lord, I don't know what's next, but I know what you said. I know your promise, and I'm trusting in that. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, We live or we walk by faith, not by sight. So faith is not a concept in our mind. Believing is not a, a concept in our mind. Faith is something that is active in our life. It's how we live. We walk by faith, not by what we see, not by the storm that's coming, but knowing that we're rooted in God. Listen, it's normal for us, sometimes as Christians, to hear the voice of God. It's normal. It is normal for you to hear God's voice. You're his sheep, you hear his voice. That is normal. However, we all go through seasons where we're confused. Come on. How many of y'all have ever been confused before? You're like, but you know God speaks. So what do you do during those times? Do you get distracted? Do you get discouraged? Or do you just remain faithful? We live by faith. We don't live necessarily by the tangible. We hope for the tangible. Listen, there's a great difference between faith and hope. We hope God's going to speak to us. We know that God's going to speak to us, but we're not, we're not going to just stay here until he does. We're going to move along. We're going we're to function in our faith. We're going to walk by the faith that we have. Are you all okay? So we have hope in the, in the tangibles, but our promise but, but, but he is the holder of our promise, so we put our trust in him. We don't put our trust in the tangibles. Are you with me? For, for example, uh, you, you're praying for a job, okay? God, I want this job. I, I know that you're the provider. I'm, I'm praying for this job. I'm praying for this job. I'm praying for this. I really hope I get this job, right? All of our prayers, all of our answers, I hope I get this job. So what's happened is we've placed hope in the tangible. This is a problem because you don't place hope in, in, in the resource. You place hope in daddy. You don't go, uh, so my kids don't place their hope in the vehicle. Are you with me? They place hope in their dad, the driver. And so we don't go, man, I hope I get this job. I hope this. There's nothing wrong with hoping for those things, but, but your faith is in the promise. The promise is you'll be provided for. The promise is you'll be taken care of. So that is where our faith lies. It's in the promise, not in the tangible. God, I'm believing I'm going to hear from you. That's great. We can hope for that, but our faith is rooted in him. Are you guys with me? Are you tracking with me? Is this okay? Okay. Hope looks to the future. Are you with me? Hope, hope looks to the future. It is always future tense. Faith is now. Faith is based upon, based in a person and our position. So your faith is rooted in Jesus. It's in a person, and it's in your position in him. I'm right with God. I believe God. I'm accredited. Him as righteous. I am his. It's based in a person. Hope is based on what is promised and what is coming. Are you guys with me? So we don't hope in resources. We hope in promises. 
Are you guys with me? Okay. So, number one, faith is active trust. Number two, faith is absolutely necessary to please God. You cannot please God with no faith. Can God be displeased? Yes, He can. If you don't have faith in God, you can't please Him. Scary. Now, how many of you know that if it's just a little bit of faith, He's pleased with that? God gives you a measure of faith. Where are you going to put your faith? So check it out. Hebrews eleven six. It is impossible to please God without faith. It is impossible to please God without faith. There it is. I want to please God. Have faith. Stop striving and believe. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those that seek Him. So He's saying, if you're putting your faith in me, let it be active. Believe that I am and I'm a rewarder. How many know that when He came to Abraham, He said, I am your exceeding great reward? So we're not just coming to God on the basis is that He's God. That's great, but we also know that God's a rewarder. When we seek Him, when we seek to put our trust in Him, the rewards come. Um, the, the concept of grace is something that we have to get into, give into. Um, for me, I'm always battling this thing, right, with grace, because it's, it's something you have to give into. It's hard for us to understand that I can get something for not working for it, right? Um, Several years ago, Leslie and I were moving from El Paso to Amarillo, and we had had this piano uh, that we had acquired, and it was an upright piano, and it was very heavy. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm a you know, pretty strong guy, competent and everything. And, and so we sell the, the piano on Craigslist. Thank you, Jesus. And so the guy comes to pick up the piano, and I'm like, you know, dragging it across the floor, scratching it. And I was like, man, it's really heavy. It's really heavy. And he's like, oh, I just got my truck, and uh, we'll just we'll put it in the back of the truck. I'm like, you got like a forklift or something? Because this is going to be heavy. So we go out. We're carrying it, you know, carrying the piano out there, and we get it up to the, the truck. And, you know, the bed's laid down, and we're going to pick it up and put it in the back of this truck. You know, he wasn't worried about it getting, you know, detuned or anything. He was just, let's just get it over to our place. And so I was going to help him. Like, I was going to try to grab one end. And I was thinking the whole time, this is impossible. There's no way that, because it took like six of us to move it in the house. You remember this? And so we're like, we're standing at the, at the bed of his truck, and he goes, don't worry, I got it. I'm like, I was thinking, okay, bro, big man. And this guy just like wraps his arms around the piano. I don't even know how he did it. Picks up the piano, and he sticks it in his, he picks the whole thing up. I mean, this thing has a weigh like 400, 500 pounds or something. I'm freaking out. I'm going, dang, okay, you know, and then he's like, take my money, you know, and so I'm like, okay, good, and so I'm sitting here thinking, what the heck, listen, faith is what I put, trust is what I did in that man, he was able to do something that I was not able to do, Jesus was able to do something that you weren't able to do, fulfill the law, you weren't able to fulfill it, so Jesus fulfilled it, you weren't able to be perfect, so Jesus was perfect, and he took all your sins, he took all your shame, and he loaded it up, and he took it away. But listen, you have got to put trust in him. He don't need your help. You just give it to him and say, okay, you got to take it, do it. Ah! It's so hard for me to trust that man. It's so hard for us to trust Jesus sometimes. But it's absolutely necessary if we're going to please him. 
Number three, faith will be tested. Faith is active trust. Faith is absolutely necessary to please God. Number three, faith will be tested. Now, we don't like to talk about this. We just like to have questions. Why am I being tested? Tests are going to come. Storms are going to come. They're going to come. It's just part of, part of the Christian walk. It's part of your life. They're going to come. You complain about it, they're going to get harder because character is going to be developed. And once you get that worked on, then there's going to be another issue for God to work on. So if you're where you're at two years ago, it's probably because you haven't endured the, thing, the testing that you're going through right now. And so you're just still on the same storm because you haven't pres- persevered, you haven't held on to Jesus, you haven't anchored deep. And so now you're still dealing with the same test you were three years ago, and you're not really doing any better than you were. <laughs> That's why Paul tells us we need to move on to maturity, get, get beyond some of the stupid things that we deal with. Now, check it out. James 1, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of any kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm like, no, I'm not like, dang it, I'm like, whatever. Consider it pure joy. Consider it joy, pure joy, when you face trials of any kind. I mean, who does that? I mean, I'm sure Paul, when he was writing this, I mean, not Paul, but James was writing this, he's like, (laughs) consider it pure joy, right? And we believe that he was hearing for the Holy Spirit, but how many know that that is like ridiculous? That's a ridiculous standard. How can we consider trials joy is because we know that when we're going through something difficult, we have our anchor deep and we're going, God, I know you're working in me. This is the great hope that we have when we're dealing with trials. And the reason why we can consider it joy doesn't necessarily mean we're going to have a smile on our face, but we're going to be at peace and we're going to be okay with it because we're going through it. We're not going to ask all the wrong questions, which we've, we've explored in, in the last series, but we're just going to go through it. We're going to go, God, I know that you're working in me and I know that, that you're refining my heart. And I thank you, God, that, that you are doing that because I do want to be closer to you. And I want to, do, do know, I want, I want to know a greater measure of your love. of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When we complain and we whine and we moan about the trials we're going through, we're saying, I don't want to be any better. I'm good like I am. We've got this ego we don't ever want to be refined. We, we don't like it with people. We don't like it with God. So when, when something comes that rubs us the wrong way, we complain about it. We don't consider it joy. And rather than the obstacles in our life refining us, they destroy us. We get cold. We get hard. We get bitter. We, we stop receiving love. We stop re- receiving joy. God's love and His joy is still there, but we're rejecting it because it's right there in the midst of us. And we're going, no, 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 no I don't want it. I'd rather be bitter because I'm full of pride. Don't tell me how to live. Don't act like that to me. Right? And we do the same thing with God when we're going through difficulty. We're just going, well, I'm not going through this. You're going through this because you're not freaking perfect, just like me. The reason why I'm going through it is because I don't have it all figured out yet. But after I go through this, I'm going to be a little better than I was before I went through it. And I'm going to have my bearings because I'm anchored deep, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to be difficult, but I'll be better because of it. 
I'll be sweeter because of it. I'll love Jesus more. His love for me won't change, but I will love him more when I get through it. Not less, which sadly many people failed the test and they loved Jesus less after the trial. Y'all okay? So faith will be tested. Just get it. It's going to be tested. It's going to be hard at times. It's going to be difficult. What are you going to do about it? Let's consider it joy. That's funny. All right, moving on. Come on. How many you know? The only way to consider it joy is knowing that when it finishes, we're going to be better on the back end of it. And number four, faith produces obedience. Now, listen, Abraham was righteous. He was already righteous. God considered him righteous because of his faith. And then God got into this thing called circumcision with Abraham. And circumcision was the mark of the covenant. So it was, it was Abraham going, okay, God, I agree, and now I'll do this because I believe. How many know that you, you can go around and get circumcised all day long? Well, not all day long, but once, and still not have any faith. Have to see what that looks like. Okay. How many know that so many times we talk about the, Abra- the, the faith of Abraham? And we, rightfully so, we should, because he's the father of faith. But listen, look at the works of Abraham. Look at the obedience. Why was he such an obedient man when it was so difficult? Because of his faith. Faith produces obedience. We're not talking about law, keeping a law. We're talking about being obedient to your daddy. Are you with me? And I think sometimes we confuse those things. We think obedience means being a law keeper. No, 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 not necessarily. Listen, we, we talk about rest a lot. Oh, just rest in the Lord. And do you know that I am most restful in the Lord when I'm being obedient? It's when I'm obeying him. That's where rest, rest is found in obedience. It's not found through the strife. It's found through the, okay, I'm supposed to do this. This is who I am. Let me say this. Faith that won't work, don't work. Faith that won't work, don't work. Now, come on. If I was T.D. Jakes, you guys would be like, right? Faith that won't work, don't work, won't work. James 2.17, you see faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. And then he goes on to talk about Abraham, and he said, Abraham was shown to be right by his works. So he was right, but the proof of the rightness was in the work. It was in the obedience. You guys with me? Y'all okay? Y'all done? Faith is active trust. Faith is absolutely necessary to please God. Faith will be tested, and faith produces obedience. I'm going to close with this story. There's this, Jesus goes to Jericho, and there's this mobster, a short mobster guy, right? In today's age, he would be a mobster, isn't it? And he was short. You know, today he would be Italian. And uh, his name was Zacchaeus, and he was a tax collector. Now, tax collectors were known to be crooked. Everybody hated Zacchaeus, right? You guys have heard the story? We're talking about, we should have called this message today, Children's Church Stories, right? So Zacchaeus is trying to get to Jesus, little guy, right? He is short. He's vertically challenged, right? We've got to be PC when we talk about Zacchaeus. 
And, uh, you know, the song says Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Wee little man was he. And he's like, man, I, I want to see Jesus. I want to know what he's talking about. How many know that people hated this man because he was crooked and he was corrupt? He was a mobster. I mean, he was, he was a criminal. And although he might have been a Jew, he was exiled from all the Jewish leaders. So they were now probably saying, you're not a child of Abraham. You're not one of us because you're crooked, because you don't keep the law. And he's like, I know, I know. And he shows up because he hears Jesus is in town there in Jericho. And he shows up, and he can't see Jesus because he's vertically challenged. So he's running around trying to look over the crowd, and then he sees a tree, a sycamore tree. And Scripture tells us that he climbs up into the tree to see Jesus. And he looks at Jesus, and he's like, hey, Lord, hey. Right? And then Jesus is like, hey, Zacchaeus. He's like, how about let's go to your house and eat? Let's go hang out. Let's be together. Nobody else wants to be with him, but I, I want to be with you. I want to hang out with you. Here's this lost man. And then Jesus responded to the, to the people around him because no, everybody was blown away. They're like, whoa, first of all, what is this guy even doing here? He's such a sinner, right? And what's he doing in the tree, that moron? You know, because you're standing in front, right? And being all critical. And, and because of his desire to be with Jesus, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 19, verse 9. Jesus responded. I love it when it says that. Jesus responded. He didn't react. He responded. And he says, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown, him, shown himself to be a true, here it is again, a true son of Abraham. Was he already a son of Abraham? Well, he was born that way, but now he was exiled. But Jesus says, let me restore what was lost. Not only restore what was lost, not only is he a descendant of Abraham, he is a true son of Abraham because he has put his faith in knowing me. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those which are lost. Here is a man that dropped his anchor. And when the storm came and the storm passed, there he was, and he didn't have anything to go. Actually, he didn't drop his anchor. He was lost at sea. And Jesus says, even though you're lost at sea, here I am. And I came to seek and save those that were lost. You didn't put your anchor down. You didn't do what you're supposed to do. So I'm coming out, and I'm going to find you, and I'm going to get you. I'm going to show you how to lay your anchors for the next storm that comes. But I tell you what, this is a true son of Abraham. And I came to seek and save those that were lost. You want to come up? Listen, when we feel like sometimes we talk about faith today, sometimes we feel like that we've lost our way, or we've lost our faith, or we didn't anchor deep, or, or whatever it is, and then we, we kind of wake up after the storm has passed. And we're just kind of drifting, and we're like, I don't even know where to go. I don't know what to do. The good thing is we have a king like Jesus that says, even though you didn't do what was necessary, even though the storm came and jacked you up, and here you are lost, and you don't know your way, you don't, I've came to seek and save that which is lost. And I've came to graft you in. I've came to establish you to the right position, the place that you need to be.